Welcome to Alaskwatch, the show all about Bigfoot in the great state of Alaska. I'm your host, Beans Baxter. So lace up your boots, zip up your coat, and come with me on an adventure as we explore all things cryptid in the last frontier. All right, guys, I am back, back in the studio, having a little bit of a a warm front here on the Kenai Peninsula this weekend, which is not necessarily a good thing, uh, especially this time of year. We get a lot of uh, snow, and then it warms up and starts to melt the snow, and then it rains, and then the rain freezes on top of the snow, and we get some pretty crappy road conditions and just conditions in general. And I've pretty much resigned myself that uh, I'm not going anywhere this weekend. <laughs> We're just going to let the rain fall and just uh, kind of wait it out and see what happens. Hopefully uh, the roads can get sanded and we can uh, get out of here. Uh, we live at the bottom of a very steep hill. And a lot of times uh, if that ice is over or gets uh, a freezing rain on it, I can pretty much uh, essentially trap us where we're at, which isn't necessarily a good thing because I am not really somebody that likes to get out and socialize. I am very much a homebody. Last episode, uh, I began with a disclaimer. Uh, This episode uh, obviously is uh, a continuation of that episode, so the disclaimer stands. Uh, If you guys feel that uh, the show Alaskan Killer Bigfoot is good if you really enjoy it. Uh, This is a very critical critique of that show and you probably shouldn't listen to this because it's just going to piss you off. Uh, If you, again, if you want the opinion of someone that's actually been to Port Chatham, uh, the Portlock area, uh, and isn't, I guess, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, hoaxing, then you can listen to this and, um, just, uh, form an opinion from there. So anyway, uh, last episode I had mentioned when I go on podcasts, uh, when I get like invited to podcasts and there's like a a live chat, uh, people always ask me the same three questions. And then I, I mentioned two of the things and then I got to the third and my mind just went completely blank. And I realized, I remembered what it was. Actually, I didn't remember. My wife reminded me Um, because I I didn't just like my mind didn't blink for a second. Like it went out like I completely lost what I was trying to say. And it was gone for a couple of days until my wife reminded me. But um, anyway, the first thing that people always want to know about generally is uh, what do you think about Dogman? And the second one is what do you think about Todd standing? And the third one, the one that I forgot is what do you think about giants or like mountain giants? And uh, th- those are the questions that that pretty much uh, just follow me around everywhere I go. <laughs> so anyway, <clears throat> I would I would uh, I, w- I have been remiss if I didn't uh, mention it now that I've that I've uh, was reminded of it. it. It was just man, it was one of those things where you're just trying so hard to remember something that there's no way you're going to remember it. It's like the harder you try to remember it, the further away it, it slips. And uh, one, of, one of those things where you're like, 
two or three days later, you're like sitting in bed, getting ready to fall asleep. And then it just, you, you like set up in bed and you're like, it was giants. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, uh, something else I wanted to touch on real quick before we get into our, uh, I don't even know if it's a review anymore. I think it's more of a critique of, uh, Alaskan killer Bigfoot, you know, typically, especially when it comes to Bigfoot stuff, I try and stay away from drama. I don't, I don't particularly enjoy it. Um, I guess you know, just because I've put up with so much of it through my career, both, uh, just through what I had to deal with, um, on the streets and, you know, in, in the, the inner workings of, uh, the department, uh, you know, people that have worked in law enforcement for a while will tell you that, you know, uh, a police department is just high school with guns <laughs> and, uh, you know, the same can be said for, for Bigfooting. It's, it's high school with monsters. Um, so I try and stay away from a lot of that. You know, there's a lot of people that don't agree with other people and for reasons I can't comprehend seem to be obsessed with those people they don't agree with and talk about them constantly and, uh, make fun of them or put them down or treat them badly and say things about them, especially behind their back. And that's, you know, that's just not cool to me. I think you should uh, treat everybody with the courtesy and respect that you would expect in return. And if somebody gives you, it's like roadhouse, you know, be nice till it's time to not be nice. And I feel that, uh, you know, I try and stay, stay away from that. You know, I know there's some people out there that, uh, don't agree with the way we do things, the way I, you know, just basically anything at all. And then those, there's those people that are inexplicably, uh, just hate anything to do with Bigfoot and just think Bigfoot's the stupidest thing on earth, but yet they seem almost unnaturally compelled to watch Bigfoot videos on YouTube and talk about Bigfoot and Bigfoot Facebook groups. It just, that baffles my mind. You could probably, if you just, a, a really like learned psychologist just came in and just scrolled through a lot of these Bigfoot groups, they could probably write an amazing paper. <laughs> Uh, and just sat down and just talked to a few Bigfooters of uh, opposing viewpoints. Oh man, it would probably be some kind of like breakthrough paper. And that being said, my, my said all that so I can say this is that typically when something's going on that I don't like or approve of or agree with, typically what I do is instead of getting on here and ranting about it, I'll try and just leave it alone, ignore it, because I like this to be a positive thing, a positive place. Um, I don't like to just get on here and gossip or talk, you know, crap about other people in the Bigfoot. If I don't like what they're doing or I don't agree with what they're saying, then I typically, at least, I either ignore it completely or I try to be kind of nice about about it. I don't call people names or try to make fun of them or attack them personally. And, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, stuff came out, you know, a few episodes, like, I think it was one of my first episodes, maybe, I don't know, a long time ago. It feels like forever ago. I guess it was at least two years ago, uh, maybe over, 
Uh, I did a review of the first episode or maybe the first couple episodes of Expedition Bigfoot. And I, I think I was pretty fair about the show. I, I said it was a little, you know, they were obviously doing some things just to do them for TV. You know, like when Russell had to like rappel down the mountain with the hair he found, I'm like, there's no exigency for that. They're just doing it for the show. Uh, you know, I thought I was pretty fair about it, but then it came out later on, like after my review came out, it came out that there were, uh, basically that location that their algorithm I'm using quote fingers, uh, had picked out for them to research in was basically like a private ranch that they had rented out to do their research in. And it was a a pretty, I'm not going to say it was a big bombshell. Uh, I think there's certainly a lot of people once they learned that, uh, there was certainly quite a few that stopped watching that show. Um, and, but there were also many people who were just, you know, leave, leave them alone. They're great. You know, like I love that show and just keep watching. And then there's those that are like, well, it's on for TV. What do you expect? Like, do you, you know, like it's like watching a, a, a Superman movie and then somebody like finding out Superman's not real in real life. And somebody's like, no shit. what do you, th- you thought there was a real Superman? <clears throat> so anyway, uh, I pretty much, uh, abandoned expedition Bigfoot after that. And I'd never mentioned it on the show again. Cause I didn't think that, uh, they were being honest about what they were doing. And, uh, that's why I never really talked about it after that first, uh, fairly, positive from what I remember review and uh, just never brought it up again. And that's typically how I handle these things. Um, but this show, the Alaskan killer Bigfoot obviously is literally, uh, in my backyard in a place that I have certainly, uh, researched before and been involved in productions of. So obviously people are, I don't want to say incessantly, but I have been contacted a lot uh, I have been getting a lot of messages, a lot of emails, a lot of basically questions about what do I think about the show? What do I, you know, what about this? What about that? And that's pretty much why I decided to address it publicly really with this podcast is just, I just need, I, I don't want to have to individually reply to a thousand people. Uh, so I'm just trying to get it out there where people can just hear my thoughts and feelings on it. And, uh, plus I feel like that. And at least in this case, I feel like somebody needs to be the voice of reason here for port lock and port Chatham. Um, as I stated last episode, I, I kind of <clears throat> feel, even though, you know, I, I'm not an Alaska native. Um, I do have some native American blood in me, but I'm not one of those people that just run around like, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, one eighth native American or whatever it is. Elizabeth Warren said, uh, so I, I have no claim, I guess, to, to any involvement in this as, as a native American. Uh, I feel that the show is being very disrespectful, uh, to the land and to the, the people that live there and made a living there. Um, I just, I feel like it's, it, Again, uh, you know, it, it seems to have the blessing of the natives that live in the area and participation of the natives that live in the area. Um, 
So really, I mean, what, so what does my opinion matter? Um, but I just feel like it's very disrespectful. Um, especially with some of the stuff that we're going to get into here in a little bit. But, uh, again, you know, I'm not native Alaskan. I have no, I guess, dog in that fight, uh, other than, you know, hiking around the area, uh, that the show was filmed in and, you know, having some memory, fond memories of the place. I, I really have no say so in whatever goes on there. Uh, you know, it's owned by the natives. They decided for whatever reason to give this, uh, production team, their, uh, blessing and participation. Uh, I did speak to Steven about that. Uh, we, or he had, uh, did talk to some natives and before we went to film, uh, in search of the Port Chatham, Harry Manor, 2018, uh, he talked to quite a few of them on the phone and they did talk to him. Uh, but basically when it came to being filmed, uh, it sounds like they, a lot of them shied away and uh, declined to participate. And, uh, obviously they participated in this production and I asked Stephen uh, a few days ago, I, I asked him, you know, I, I wonder why, what, what compelled them to participate in this production and not his. And uh, I think we both came up with the, the same answer is that they, Stephen said he didn't offer anybody any money uh, to appear on camera. And obviously uh, this production probably did, given the fact that they offered me uh, some money to appear on camera even though, <laughs> even though it was uh, pretty much a, a laughable amount. Um, but see part one for that story. I'm not going to retell it. So like I said, I try and stick away from the drama. Uh, I kind of feel like I'm being dragged into this one. And I'm going to do uh, this last episode, the the previous episode about the Alaska Killer Bigfoot. I'm going to do this episode about Alaskan Killer Bigfoot. And then hopefully... I will never have to mention it again. So this is supposedly, <laughs> we'll see well, this is supposedly the end of it. And I've seen, um, a lot of the, or at least some, actually, I think I've only seen one <laughs> of the cast members, uh, basically, uh, rallying, trying to create a call for action, uh, for a season two, trying to get people to demand a season two. And if that, uh, if that occurs, if that happens, um, basically much, much as I did with expedition Bigfoot, uh, I am going to ignore it. Uh, I am going to just pretend it doesn't exist and, uh, focus my energies and time on things that I feel will be uh, beneficial to, uh, my knowledge of, uh, Bigfoot and my quest to find him. And I will just ignore it. And hopefully that it doesn't hope that it doesn't get in my way somehow. So anyway, I sat down and again, I, it was hard. <laughs> I wish that, um, I had had the presence of mind to just set up my camera and just film me watching the show because it would probably be gold. It would be, it would be amazing. Like the number of times I, you know, threw my hands up in the air or sighed or shook my head or threw something at the TV or something like that. You know, uh, it, it would have been, it would have been pretty good. I don't have the 
time or the patient. So to sit down and edit something like that, so it would have probably seen the never, it would have never seen the light of day anyway. So anyway, when we left our heroes, all in capital letters, when we left our heroes, cause they're heroes folks, we're dealing with uh, some of the bravest men in Alaska here to uh, travel to this place and, and deal with the evils that it, uh, it contains heroes. When we last left our heroes back in episode four, uh, they were standing behind the red cabin with Mr. Ron Moorhead, who is, according to the production team, a Bigfoot expert. I guess the first ever real life Bigfoot expert. And he had uh, brought some speakers and they had uh, set up those behind the cabin and were blasting at least some of the Sierra sounds. I'm not exactly sure how much of the Sierra sounds they played because according to what they showed on TV, which I know things are edited, it didn't seem to be a whole lot. Like there wasn't much of the samurai chatter that made it on to, uh, the show. And they had a lot of activity going on, supposedly a lot of noises. Uh, the camera started messing up again, conveniently. It never messes up, you know, until it's convenient for them to mess up. And then the episode ends and it sounds like they're about to be surrounded. And so episode five, episode five starts, and this is called, you have a Bigfoot here. And this is, um, pretty typical of the formula for the show. Uh, the previous, the previous episode ends on some kind of cliffhanger with them in a predicament. And then the next episode begins and the predicament is resolved and we don't really, you don't see the predicament resolved. It usually the new show, the, the show uh, comes on and it's like the next day, like whatever had happened. The previous episode is resolved. They've like barely, maybe just a little mention it like, Oh man, that was crazy, huh? Oh yeah. And then they go start doing whatever they're doing. Um, so they're talking about the previous night and they decide to take uh, Ron Moorhead and show him the spooky tree, which I agree. That's one of the few things that I agree with them on is that tree is spooky. Uh, it is a creepy ass tree. So Ron takes a look at the tree and he said, uh, can't make it up. He says, Bigfoot live in trees. Not up now. I'm not saying they live up in the trees like birds or squirrels. He says they live inside the trees and they draw energy from the trees. And look, I, most of you that listen to the show pretty regular, you know, I'm a flesh and blood guy. I think that, uh, Bigfoot is probably more than likely some kind of a uh, relic hominid or hominid, something like that or some kind of a evolved ape, but (laughs) um, I am not completely, I don't want to say, I'm not completely skeptical on some of the more woo things. Um, I do believe we, you know, we live in a pretty amazing place and there's, you know, I don't want to say infinite possibilities, but well, yeah, it's infinite possibilities. It's just some things are much less probable than others. Uh, but I do think we lived in, in a world of infinite possibilities. But 
you know, to, to state something like that, I mean, the, the way Ron Moorhead, uh, says it, it's like a foregone conclusion. It's like, oh yeah, the Bigfoot live in the trees and they draw the energies for a tree from the trees. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying they don't, but if Mr. Ron Moorhead could show his work to the rest of the class, I would love it because basically, I mean, just, you can't, what's well, like Adam Davies says, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. If I'm going to sit here and tell you that Bigfoot exists and it's a real creature, then I'm going to have the burden of proof is on me. I'm going to have to pull Bigfoot out of my butt and throw it on a slab or put it in a cage for somebody to see. And I expect the same, uh, from, from anybody that makes such a claim. Uh, you know, if, if you tell me Bigfoot live in trees and they draw energy from the trees, uh, show me, show, show me a Bigfoot in a tree, you know, show me a Bigfoot emerging from the tree, you know, like stretching and yawning and scratching his butt. Like, you know, he's waking up for the day. Otherwise I'm just going to have a hard time believing that. Um, I mean, you, you, and you can be skeptical without, like, like I said, I've said it before. You can be skeptical without being an asshole. Um, you know, I've heard Ron Moorhead speak, you know, some of the stuff he says makes a lot of sense. I agree with some of the stuff he says. Uh, honestly, I was pretty skeptical of the Sierra sounds until I started hearing other people talking about hearing the same kind of sounds. But, uh, you know, I've never called Mr. Moorhead a, a, a bad name or made fun of him other than maybe, maybe, maybe I was a little hard on him for the Bigfoot expert thing, but I don't think that was his fault. I think that was the production team. I'm sure he didn't go up to him and say he was a Bigfoot expert. Uh, so they take Ron Moorhead and they show him, uh, the tree break they found. And I think it's interesting, but it's kind of inconclusive because it's the top of the tree. I mean, it could have been snow load. It could have been uh, a bear up there that, that broke the tree. Uh, but it's, it's pretty interesting. I mean, if I'd have been walking through the woods and seeing it, I would have definitely taken some pictures of it and documented it and taken a closer look at it. Uh, I can't, I can't fault them for that, but, um, they basically, I think later on, they basically state as a fact that Bigfoot did, did that broke the tree. Uh, they find a track next to the tree. Uh, you know, I understand again, you know, somebody's like, Oh, look, there's a track, you know, like here's a footprint and here's a handprint or whatever. They don't really do a good job of showing us what they find. Uh, it is kind of in that mossy ground, which I've found tracks in that before. And it is hard to, to, to show other people on a camera or video. Um, one of my favorite tracks I ever found, uh, was in Port Chatham. And it was kind of in an area much like where they were. And I walked up and saw it and I was like, holy shit, look at that. And I think some of the people, you know, some of the guys saw it. Some of them didn't. Um, I tried to document it. I tried every trick in the book as far as like getting it to show up on film and camera. And I couldn't really get it. You know, sometimes I can show the picture to people and they're like, oh yeah, I see it. And then other people are like, no, it's almost like a Rorschach test. So, I mean, I get it. Um, I'm not going to beat them up too bad over this because it, it does happen. It is the way it goes sometimes. Uh, but I, th- <laughs> I thought this was kind of funny. Um, cause I think it's guy that finds the track maybe. And, uh, 
he says something about, man, it would take a lot of weight, a lot of weight uh, to push that down like that. It would take a lot of weight to do that. And the camera just immediately cuts to DJ, who is like the heaviest member of the group. And I was, I thought that was kind of funny. I was like, why did they do that? That's kind of a coincidence. (laughs) Uh, Ron Moorhead says it's definitely a Bigfoot. Uh, I wish, and I I put in my notes, I said, I wish I was so sure about things that I didn't see firsthand. Again, you know, he's just making a definitive judgment call, I guess. And I'm sure he was just, you know, you know, they're like, here, Ron, here's a hundred dollars. Will you say it was definitely a Bigfoot? You know, I I don't know. Hopefully he made more than a hundred dollars. Uh, he, he leaves Ron Moorhead gets on his helicopter and leaves. And by the way, Speaking of the helicopters, uh, again, I was talking with Steven and was telling him about all the, the helicopters and the plane they had coming in and out of there. And Steven had looked into getting a helicopter to go out there. And he said, according to, to his, the quote that they gave him, which I mean, who knows if it's the same aviation company or not, but according to Steven, uh, the plane, or I'm sorry, the helicopter, uh, cost that they quoted him was uh, $3,600 an hour or the two hour minimum. And I think on, I mean, I I sat down and did like a really, I hate math. I'm bad at it. Did a really quick, uh, some math there real quick after he told me that. And, uh, they spent somewhere in the neighborhood of $20,000 on helicopter rides. So there's, there's that, you know, I, I feel like they, they probably could have, uh, purchased something really, really awesome with that $20,000 other than helicopter rides. Like, um, I don't know, uh, some kind of like freaking like the, the, the best FLIR known to man and like scanned like the woods at, you know, like Star Trek or some shit. I don't know. But, um, that's probably the reason why they only offered me a hundred dollars or is because they spent all their money on helicopter rides. Uh, so Ron leaves and the team talks about how his visit impacted him. And there's a really, there's a, this was kind of interesting. I thought there's a brief like little segment here, a little segue with Kyle, the bear guard. <clears throat> and he's walking around with like his diary camera, his, his little personal camera that they give him, where they, they put the, the fake ass uh, filter on there that shows the camera and the record button and he's walking around and he's walking, he's like holding it facing forward and he's walking through the woods and I don't know what it was. Uh, but those woods that he was walking through did not look like Alaskan woods. Like I'm almost a hundred percent convinced that those, that footage was not taken in Alaska. Um, it just seemed off to me. I can't, I can't put my finger on it. And honestly, like by this point, cause at first I was kind of like, I would rewind and like rewatch stuff that I was like, Oh, what's going on with that? Or what's this? Or what's that? And I was kind of rewinding stuff and, and watching stuff. And it got to the point. And also it seemed like every time I did that, it would try to show me ads again. I got to the point where I just stopped. I stopped like rewinding. I was just like, I'm going to get through this and as, as quick as I can and stop like rewinding and pausing and going back. Uh, so they go, um, the show guy, the obelisk, and, um, it's, it's like nighttime and they get like this idea that maybe it's, uh, 
some kind of a navigational guidestone or something, which actually I thought wasn't a bad idea. I don't know who came up with that, but I thought, hey, that might actually be something about. And so they get like uh, compasses out. Well, of course, the they say the compasses are going crazy. Um, you know, they show the compasses like spinning and stuff and spinning in a different, like that's not north or this isn't north. And then a guy takes his knife out and he's like chipping on the obelisk for reasons. And, uh, of course he then, you know, starts to feel sick. He's, Oh God, you know, I don't feel good guys. I gotta, I'm going to be sick. And the, (laughs) the lines are so atrociously red. It's just, it's like, didn't even try. It's like, Oh no, guys, guys really sick. We got to get back to camp. I mean, just that with that kind of like tone and inflection. And there, there's another episode later on that I, I wrote in my notes, I wrote the, um, I typed the, the, the line out and I was thinking about it and I thought, man, you know what? And you know how you can select your text and have your phone read it back to you? Like serial read it to you. I, I selected it and had Siri read it back to me. And I swear to God, Siri read it with more like gravitas and inflection than the person on the show did. (laughs) Oh, it was great. Um, then I, I, I put in my notes, I said, they really should have invited me out there because I didn't experience any electronic malfunctions or sickness at all. Like I'm, I must've been welcome by the Nantanok. Uh, the, the Nantanok must have not seen me uh, as a threat whatsoever. So obviously they should have had me in their party to uh, keep the Nantanok at bay. So it's at this point I notice that <clears throat> Ash is no longer being labeled an outdoorsman. He is now a survivalist. So in four episodes, he has been promoted, I guess, from outdoorsman to survivalist. And now we're at day 19 and the guys have, so, and this is what I was talking about earlier is they have like these missions. They're like, okay, our mission is to do this. And then they don't complete the mission or they get scared and they run away. And then they're like, okay, now our mission is to go catch fish or now our mission is to like, you know, build a tree stand or, you know, whatever. So this uh, mission, they're going to put up a tree stand and they're going to try, if I remember correctly, their goal for putting up the tree stand is to get eyes on the Nantanok to see what they're dealing with. Okay. That's like what they're going to do. They put this, it's like a regular hunting tree stand. They put it up in the wood or in the, in the, uh, next to the, or by the creepy tree, I believe. Uh, And this actually, to give them credit. I, I thought that, uh, that wasn't a bad idea. And I thought, well, you know, that might be something that I myself would try. Uh, so kudos to them for whoever come up to that with that idea. <clears throat> and so they put Ash in the tree, uh, who has gone from outdoorsman to survivalist. Uh, so he's sitting in the tree, uh, you know, typical of the show. He starts hearing stuff. Uh, as soon as it's dark, uh, this was the most like puzzling part to me. So that remember I said, they put him, they put the tree stand up, they put him in a tree stand. The mission of this exercise from what I can gather was to 
get eyes on the Nantanok. Uh, he gets in the tree stand. He hears something. And if I remember correctly, it was like he was hearing like chains rattling or something, or it sounded like chains being drugged through the woods, which that sounds pretty freaking creepy. Uh, but basically he's got his little diary cam out, his little selfie cam, and he's pointing it at his face. And he's talking to it and he's like, I promised myself I wouldn't turn on my light. I'm not going to turn on my light. I'm not going to look down. I'm not going to look down. So basically he was put there to see what was making all the noises and disturbing them at night. And he hears something and then he's like, I'm not going to look. <laughs> um, so he gets pretty upset. He, he's, he's crying, you know, he's got tears in his eyes. He's, he's, He's freaking, I mean, this is like straight out of Blair Witch and he, he somehow or another, he gets out of the, the tree. He conveniently gets out of the tree stand without being um, molested or killed. And he's trying to find his way back to camp and they kind of imply that he's lost, but not real. I mean, he's like, I don't know which way to go. And this is the part. Remember last episode I was telling you where I'm like, man, you know, sometimes they would do something or they would show him doing something. And I'm like, man, this seems kind of familiar, like, you know, copy my homework, but don't make it look obvious. And, uh, Ash is, you know, he's, he's talking to a selfie cam. He's trying to get away from the tree stand and he starts going, Oh my God, something's whispering in my ear. Something's whispering in my ear. And at this point I'm like, all right, hold up, you know, cause how many interviews have I done where I've talked about that time I was in Washington and I thought I heard something whispering behind me and was just filled with this intense fear. Right. Um, so I'm like, is this guy, is he watching what I've, is he, is he like watch stuff that I've done? And he's just like, okay, this is Bigfoot stuff. I'm going to say this happened. And I don't know. It's weird on the one hand. Cause I'm like, man, that's pretty coincidental. Maybe it really did happen. But at the same time, I'm like, everything else in the show is so convolutedly fake and just poorly done that I don't believe it. Uh, it suffers from, it's the boy who cried wolf syndrome where, okay, they're, they're, it's so fake that if they do find or have any real stuff on the show, you're not going to be able to tell the fake stuff from the real stuff just because it's so crappily done. Uh, so they, somehow he finds his, again, the conflict isn't resolved. It just, all of a sudden it's the next day. Um, I guess assume Ash made it back to camp. I don't know. It's day 20. Uh, Ash is walking around in the woods by himself with a selfie cam. And he tells the selfie cam, I'm going to tell the guys we shouldn't come out here alone as he's walking through the woods alone makes sense. Uh, Kyle finds is out walking by himself and finds this at first. I wasn't sure. Like I thought it was a puddle and he's like, Oh, look at this. It was, it was obviously dug out and it's like got water in it or something. <clears throat> and then it jumps back to the, to the other guys. And of course they're, <laughs> this was in my notes. I'm like, now they're building a house. What the hell? So they're just building like a sauna in the middle of the woods. Um, they say that it's, it's to, um, test the waters to see that if they can build there again, uh, 
And I thought this was a little weird because they build this thing and then you pretty much never see it again. Like you never see them use it. You never see them ever like hanging around it. It just, it's like there for this like particular like mission or exercise or whatever. And then it just is never mentioned again. And uh, I put in my notes, I said, I, I have a feeling they're uh, building the structure just so it can get destroyed. Uh, but like I said, it doesn't, that doesn't happen because they pretty much ignore the Banya, uh, after this, after they get it completed. Uh, so Kyle takes them to find or to show them the, the hole in the ground or the puddle that he found. And they start kind of poking at it and digging around at it. They find some like a wood. It looks like it's, it almost looks like it's got wood supports on the side. Um, I don't know what it is. This is like some Oak Island type shit going on here. Uh, I think personally that it was probably just some kind of uh, like a storage thing for, for food or something. I, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, some kind of cash or something. Um, and then they start, they show a bunch of headlines basically talking about like the Spanish and stuff. And that's all, all that, all those headlines are manufactured for the show. They're all fake. So after they like, uh, find the, the little puddle there, there's, they start hearing tree knocks all around them. Um, I made, I made a note here in my, uh, notes. It says weakest tree knocks ever. I mean, it literally sounds like the, the tree knock is coming from like just a couple of feet away from him. Like the, the production guys are like hit, hitting the trees with a stick or something. <laughs> and, um, so they all, they're all together. All the guys are there. And they hear the tree knock, so they all run away. Um, very, very inconsistent. You know, it's like, okay, we're, we're here to confront the Nantanok. And I'll run away. Uh, so then it jumps. It's day 21 now, and they're going to put ash in the pit. Uh, the money pit, the Oak Island pit. Um, he, they dig a bunch of stuff out. And then they decide to take the stuff, the the soil that they dig out, they decide to take it back to camp and dig through it, which I thought was kind of an interesting choice. I don't think that's necessarily uh, a, a thing that I would have done. <clears throat> I don't know. I'm not an archaeologist. Maybe they had one there. But uh, they take the, the stuff back and they find a coin. <clears throat> uh, it's, it's kind of a funny, I don't know that it's actually a coin. Ash, I think, uh, makes the comment like, oh, it's got the letter M on it. And they don't, they don't show it to you very long. Like you don't get a really good chance to look at it. Uh, it looked to me like it had like a, a castle on the front of it instead of an M. It looked like a building, not a letter. But again, they didn't really show it to you long enough for you to get a good uh, look at it. And at, by this point, I was pretty much done like pausing and rewinding and trying to make sense of any other shit. Um, and again, you know, they make these these claims like maybe if we find out what this coin is, it'll solve the mystery of Portlock. And I'm like, how is the finding out where that coin come from going to like solve all these murders that supposedly happen here? <laughs> Somebody's going to be like, Oh, that's Jack the Ripper's coin. <laughs> he must've murdered everybody in Portlock. Um, and then, so it jumps to day 23 and, uh, DJ's having trouble sleeping. And, um, the closed captioning, oddly enough, has started spelling Nantanok uh, correctly again. 
uh, with the two eyes in the middle. I, well, not necessarily correctly, but the way that I'm used to seeing it spelled traditionally, I guess. And uh, they're kind of hanging around the campfire there, I think, and if I remember correctly. And then all of a sudden, uh, one of the producers chimes in, and they've got something on the thermal. They've got the thermal drone up in the air, and it says there's something moving towards them. And we see thermal footage of something, like, moving in a direction that we assume is toward the guys. Um, Again, it's very, very heavy canopy there. Hard to uh, see anything through the canopy. So it looks like whatever they filmed this on was on the beach, maybe headed toward the canopy. And then in true Alaskan Killer Bigfoot fashion, uh, the show ends in a cliffhanger. And we don't know if our heroes are going to survive uh, until the next episode. And that's the end of episode five. So episode six is entitled <clears throat> Camp Terror. And as I said, last episode ended on a cliffhanger where there was something headed towards them uh, that was seen on the thermal drone. And it kind of ended in a panic with like a producer or somebody like, oh my God, there's something headed towards you. And somebody's like, I think it's the Nantanok. And in true Alaskan Killer Bigfoot fashion, this show begins, it's the next day, it's day 24. Uh, The thermal footage is basically not addressed uh, or not given a proper resolve. Um, It just gets explained away uh, in exposition. One of the guys... I think it's Ash or somebody just goes, man, that drone footage was freaky. And then that's pretty much the end of it. Um, apparently whatever was coming towards them disappeared. <laughs> um, so Kyle, uh, gets in his skiff again and is going to, going to travel the, uh, like 50 miles by skiff to Homer to meet with a historian again, who has apparently been, living in his camper on the Homer spit for 20 days, waiting for Kyle to come back. <laughs> I, I know, I know it, it, I know that it could probably easily be explained by saying like, well, maybe Kyle called him on the satellite phone and set up a meeting with him. But the way it's portrayed is just, I'm going to get in my, my little, um, 15 foot boat and, uh, just travel to, to Homer <laughs> To meet this dude that's like living in a camper. (laughs) Hope he's there. (laughs) So the historian, they show the historian, the coin. Uh, He says that he thinks it has something to do with the Spanish. Uh, He, he doesn't, but the thing is, is like, he doesn't show his work. He doesn't like show why he thinks it's a Spanish coin. He just says that. Um, I don't trust this dude at all. Uh, I looked him up on IMDb. He's been on a bunch of other like paranormal shows as a historian. Uh, I think he's just there to say whatever they want him to say. Uh, I did do just the tiniest big dig- bit of digging um, because I wasn't sure. And I did find out that the Spanish did indeed reach Alaska. Uh, they did explore the Southeast some. Uh, Valdez actually, I believe, is named by the Spanish. And it sounds like they did possibly make it up and into and around Cook Inlet as well. But there is no documentation that I could find that they ever claimed any land on the Kenai Peninsula. And 
my wife who has lived here her entire life has never heard of any like Spanish claims or colonies on the Kenai Peninsula. So I kind of doubt the validity of that. Uh, and then the historian tells them that basically the Spanish performed a possession ceremony uh, to claim the land and that when they do that, they erect an obelisk, which I don't believe at all. <laughs> Not even a little bit. And supposedly this is somehow the cause of the problems in Portlock. Uh, the guys go back and they find a uh, tree. They walk through the woods, they find a tree and they've got, it's got like a big split down the trunk. Obviously this was done by a single large claw. Again, everything is, you know, Nantanok, um, you know, stock's not performing well. It's Nantanok, uh, power goes out, Nantanok, you know, run out of gas, Nantanok. <clears throat> um, and Ash, uh, says on his, I think it's on his selfie cam, uh, says that they know Bigfoot draws energy from trees. Again, please show your work, sir. Um, that's a that's a very bold claim to make with with no proof. Um, it cut, cuts back to the historian. Uh, he says the Spanish uh, enslaved the native people. Uh, Keith goes back to camp and says that uh, he believes that Kerlock is either cursed or has a spell on it. And for some reason during this scene, when he's talking to the guys, I got the impression that the tent that is behind them is not the tent that they had in the first episode. Again, by this point, I got tired of like pausing and rewinding and trying to look at things and I just didn't care anymore. Um, and this kind of surprised me, uh, their next mission for, for reasons is to go to, uh, Chrome Bay to go fishing. So they get in a little skiff, they go over to Chrome Bay, uh, they do some fish, they don't catch anything, uh, and they find the mine. From what I understand, it's not terribly difficult to find. Uh, And this, again, this is why I don't trust anything their historian says. Uh, They say the mine was shut down in the 40s when a miner mysteriously disappeared. And this is not true. Uh, there is an account of a gold miner that went missing around Portlock. Um, I, I, I have heard that, but the chromite mine, it closed down after the war when the price of, uh, chrome plummeted and they didn't need anymore. It was completely economic reasons. Uh, but you know, it's more fun and exciting to tell people lies. And so they decide to, uh, look at the mine and Keith, who's the leader, he says, you know, it looks like it doesn't look very structurally sound. I don't think we should go in. And Ash in typical Ash fashion is like, I'm going in. Uh, so he goes in there and I remember somewhere on the internet is a blog where some kayakers like found this place and this like old man and woman are like wandering around the mine. I mean, it's not that I'm not saying you should go in there, uh, or that I think it's safe at all, but I mean, there's like a picture of an old retired couple like hanging around in the same place where these guys are like, Oh no, it's so dangerous. Um, so Ash is walking through the mine and they insert some howls into the production. You know, there's obviously there's an Antonoc living in the back of the cave. 
Uh, and then one of the guys at the front of the, at the head of the mine starts calling and they're, you know, manufacturing drama, you know, the music cranks up and they're making it sound like Ash is about to get attacked. Uh, you know, there's a roar going on and dude. So the music pumps up, they've got the guys at the front of the cave, like Ash, Ash, you know, like, Oh my God, Ash, where are you? Ash and Ash comes walking out of this cave as nonchalantly as he, I mean, um, remember Kramer's pimp walk when he had the Technicolor dream coat and the big hat, Ash comes walking out of this cave. Like he could not care less. And supposedly he's hearing like all these roars and there's a monster behind him and all this shit. And he walks out of that cave. Like it's just another day. And he's like, Hey guys, <laughs> apparently after having something whisper in your ear, you're now immune to sonic attacks. And when the, when you hear a roar in a, in a confined tight space, it doesn't affect you. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so they <clears throat> leave the mind. They're convinced they're like, okay, you know, we know the, the Nantanox period or uh, period. Um, what, what am I trying to say? His um, place where he lives, his territory extends to, uh, to Chrome Bay. And, I got, I'm ta- I've been talking for too long. I'm starting to get tongue tied. And then it cuts back to Kyle, uh, the bear guard again, walking around without his rifle <laughs> and he finds some kind of kill site and there's some like bones and some other stuff. And again, like I said, I was, by this point I wasn't pausing and re- rewinding anymore. I just didn't give a shit and I can't put my finger on it, but something didn't look right about that kill site. I don't know something about the piece and pieces he was showing us. Like it didn't, I don't know. Some of them looked fresher than others. And it just, it looked kind of fake to me. And <clears throat> again, I, I'm right. I actually wrote in my notes. I was like, I'm not going back and looking at that. I'm done with it. Uh, so now they're talking around the fire, about all the stuff that's happened. Uh, it's now, it, the, now surprisingly, this episode turns kind of into like a clip show where they talk about stuff um, that's happened and it like flashes back to then <clears throat> it kind of reminded me of when the, the medium was there and uh, she says, Oh no, I feel sick. And you get a flashback to like five, not even five minutes prior. And she, <laughs> with her telling the guys like, when I feel uh, dark energy, I get sick. <clears throat> and then, um, so this, this is some, this next thing that happens, this is pretty interesting. So guy, the, the newest team member there, he, uh, goes to the obelisk and I, I believe he got, well, he doesn't, he doesn't go by himself. I think his cameraman's with him or whatever. <clears throat> um, he goes to the obelisk and of course, all, most of the natives here are, um, uh, Russian Orthodox. And most of them are pretty religious, pretty, pretty strict about it. Or at least to the, to the point where they won't, they won't do something that they consider blasphemy and they won't, uh, you know, if something's considered holy, it's, they consider it holy. It's not something they joke around, around about. So guy goes to the obelisk and he takes some icons which are kind of like um, pictures of saints and stuff, you know, holy figures. 
they they look the ones that he has uh, for this particular they can be different sizes but the ones that he particularly that he brought with him for this um, they look kind of like like little saint baseball cards and he's got them like wrapped in plastic <clears throat> and he puts them on the obelisk uh, he says to show Bigfoot that they don't mean any harm. And I wrote in my notes, I said, I sense foreshadowing, foreshadowing here. Like something's going to happen to those icons. And they were talking about the obelisk um, earlier and, and saying maybe, you know, trying to figure out what it was. And I was talking to Steven about it a little bit because we didn't find the obelisk. Um, again, I don't think they, they put it there, but. It, it was kind of weird. And I, from some of the pictures that I've seen of it and some of the footage I've seen of it, I mean, we might've walked by it and, and thought it was like a tree stump or something. Uh, unless you were right up on it, you might've not been able to tell it was made out of concrete. <clears throat> and I know I'm, I mentioned in my notes here that they only show us the obelisk from a certain, like a couple of angles. Uh, we never get like a 360 degree view of it. And I kind of feel like it might be like a chimney or something. I don't know. It's kind of hard to tell. Uh, again, you know, it's like they, there's selective scenes of it. You know, they don't show us a 360 degree view of it. They never show us like the backside. It's kind of weird. I feel like if we could see the whole thing, like we'd be able to be like, Oh, okay. It's this or it's that. Like it would, it's purpose would be pretty obvious. Uh, but they want us to think it's the obelisk. So guy leaves his, uh, icons, uh, on the obelisk. I don't know what they're made out of. I think they're kind of like paper or cardboard. Uh, I'm really, really surprised that they did this. Um, I, 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 I'm surprised that guy and, and Keith were on board with this. It just, I don't know. Seems kind of weird to me. Um, so guy puts his icons down, he's getting ready to leave. Then he hears like branches snapping. He hears, you know, a noise and he's like, Oh no, what is that? And it cuts the commercial and typical, you know, like building, um, suspense fashion. Uh, we come back from commercial and like the rest of the rest of the guys, like the rest of the team, like pop out of the woods and they're like, Oh, Hey guy, here you are. We've been looking for you. Uh, of course, you know, they pop out of the woods, you know, they've got their flashlights and headlamps on and they're like yelling for guy. But just a couple of minutes ago when it cut back to the noise, we heard like the woods are completely dark. So you know, more manufactured drama. Uh, he tells somebody tells a uh, guy it's, it's not a good idea to be in these woods alone at night. Come on. We got to get you out of here. And I am not lying to you. It's said almost exactly like that. Uh, they're on day 26. They're going to go fishing again. Uh, they didn't catch anything the day before they set out some long lines, which are kind of like trot lines, I guess that you'd call in the South. Uh, it cuts back to Kyle, uh, walking around, uh, no man's land again, which they call basically the woods. Uh, again, the bear guard walking around without his rifle. I think he's seen without it more than he is with it. Uh, he finds tracks again, uh, that I don't, we don't get a good look at. Uh, they pull in the long line. There's no fish on it. Uh, Ash goes back out in the woods by himself again to nobody's surprise after dark. 
And so Ash uh, is walking through the woods and he's like, oh, what's that? There's, you know, there's a fire over there. There's something smoking. And he like runs over and he goes, oh my God, it's Guy's icon, icons. And it's a real quick shot of something looks like a piece of paper or something on the ground burning. We don't get, basically you can't get a good look at it. Even if you pause it, I don't think you'd be able to see what it was. And I put in my notes, I said, I am 100% positive. They did not burn an icon. Um, but Ash does say something like these guys are super religious. I'm not going to tell them about this because if they knew about it, they would leave. And that's probably one of the most true statements (laughs) that was said during this entire production. And I'm just, I I mean, I know they didn't do it. I know they didn't burn the icons. Like there's no way anybody involved in this would, well, let me say, put it this way. Any of the uh, Russian Orthodox guys that were involved in this would let them do that or continue to be involved with it if it was done. So I'm at this point, I'm like, I know this is ridiculous. And I was telling Steven about it <clears throat> after I saw it and, you know, I'm telling him the story and Steven, a lot of times will, I'll say something and, and then I'm, I'm, he'll interject before I finish the story. And he was basically like, what the hell? They're, they're tempting God's wrath. Those guys are going to go to, <laughs> and I'm like, they're not, they didn't burn the icons. And actually, again, I must be psychic because this is going to come up again later here in a couple episodes. We'll get to it. Um, so we're on day 28 and, uh, I noticed that the longer the show goes on, the more skeptical, the more time that I see their camp, the more skeptical I am that they're actually staying there. Um, I, I don't think they were spending a the night there. Uh, they're, it, we'll, we'll get into it a little bit later, but uh, I just don't think they were staying there like they were claiming to be. Uh, so it's the next morning. Uh, Kyle uh, sets down, the bear guard sets down, tells him he's got to leave. He's got a family emergency. Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> I think probably he just had to go and they had to come up with for a reason for him to go. He probably had to get back to work or something. So they sit around for a little bit and they talk about how they're all kind of lamenting about Kyle leaving. Uh, they're saying that he worked really hard to protect them. All I can think about is him walking around all the time without his freaking rifle. And... <clears throat> So it's nighttime and we finally get to see, so Kyle leaves. I can't remember if he left in a helicopter or plane. Um, by the way, I forgot to mention when I was talking about the planes and the helicopters, um, Steven said that the, he couldn't get any um, float planes to go out there. The helicopters quoted him the price that I told you about. And then the plane, the float planes were like, nope, won't do it. So I thought it was interesting that they actually got a float plane out there after Steven told me that. so we finally see the inside of the tent and this is another reason why I don't think that they were really spending the night in Port Chatham. I don't think they were sleeping camping there. Uh, so we get to see the inside of the tent, their sleep. It's like the, you know, the security camera footage or whatever from inside the tent. And these guys are scooched in there together. Like the three stooges. I mean, they're in there. If you ever watch the three stooges and and watch an episode where they're like 
waking up for the day or whatever. It's exactly like that. Like they're all scooched in there together. I wouldn't have been surprised if they showed his footage of them, like all snoring, like Larry Curley and Moe, just woo, 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 woo. So <laughs> there's, there is no way that, for, which by the way, Kyle wouldn't have even fit in there <clears throat> if, uh, if they were all sleeping, if the team was all sleeping in one tent, Kyle wouldn't even have fit in there. So all the four that are left are crammed in there like the three stooges. Uh, <clears throat> they hear, uh, some tree knocks. They hear something walking around. Oh man. Hold on. Excuse me. I got choked on my drink. Um, so I can't believe that they don't have like a bigger tent and cots. I don't, I don't know. You would think that they would be able to get like a, a guide tent or something and put some cots in it and have <clears throat> at least like a little bit of elbow, elbow room. And, um, they hear tree knocks. They hear, uh, something outside. Of course, nobody goes outside. And then all of a sudden the tent collapses on them and they all run outside. Now they're all dressed and wearing regular clothes and got their headlamps on. Uh, they hear something in the woods. Of course, they don't find anything and they go back to their tent and the tent is, is like collapsed. And I, I made a note. I was like, I can't believe how monotone they are about the damage. Uh, there's like a huge rock in the middle of the campsite <clears throat> that was thrown at them. And they're just like, oh man, look at the size of that rock. <laughs> it's just so like, oh, I have to say this about this rock. And there's a rock on the tent and it's like the tent frame is, is cracked. It's broken. <clears throat> and they, um, they're kind of sitting around wondering if they should leave or not their table that they have their little map on. It's like knocked over and they say there's hair and a handprint on there. And of course they don't do anything with it. I mean, that's the only time it's ever mentioned. Um, and I made a point in my notes. I was like, well, th this is, this is the reason why, so anytime anybody has like questioned them on their Facebook group or something about like, Oh, did you guys collect the hair or did you guys like try and get it tested for DNA or did you guys do this or did you guys do that? The excuse is always like, well, we're not Bigfoot hunters. We were there to take back the land. <clears throat> and you know, they obviously they had an opportunity, the opportunity, several opportunities uh, to have, people knowledgeable of Bigfoot with them. I'm not just talking about me. I'm talking about, I mean, they had Ron Moorhead come out there. Um, obviously they had opportunities to have Bigfooters, uh, lend their expertise. Uh, but they chose blatantly not to, to do that because then they wouldn't be able to have the excuse of, well, we're not Bigfoot hunters. <clears throat> so the episode ends like that, uh, with them basically wondering if they should leave or not. So, that was the end of episode six. We get into episode seven. It's titled, We Are the Prey. Uh, <clears throat> so I was about 10 minutes in this episode and I lost my notes on it. Um, so I had to kind of go back real quick and, and type what I can remember. I, I'm pretty sure I lost some good points in here. I feel like there was something that I said or noticed that was pretty like, I don't know, kind of like a revelation moment <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> I lost it. Um, so they go back, uh, they survey the, they're surveying the damage to the camp. Uh, I think it's daylight again. Uh, they don't do anything 
<clears throat> with the hair or anything like that. And uh, now they tried to, now for some reason they're out walking around the woods uh, trying to find out where the Nantanok lives. So they never really addressed the tent situation again because supposedly the tent was destroyed. They showed us like a broken frame, uh, yet they still have a tent and camp uh, when they go back to camp and it's never addressed. So I, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, whoever was in charge of continuity on this did a terrible job. So they're looking for what the Nantanok lives. Uh, they find some trees that have, uh, have fallen over <clears throat> and they're starting, they're saying, I mean, they're starting to say shit like, you know, obviously Nantanok did this or we know Nantanok did this and you know, only, a, only a Bigfoot could do this. And they're starting to make these like definitive statements with, with absolute, I mean, there's a tree, like trees fall over all the time. And I remember particularly, there's quite a few trees there with shallow roots. And I saw a lot of trees that had fallen over, uh, roots and all because of, uh, wind and snow load. But, uh, this is where I kind of noticed like the first few episodes, it kind of seemed like, um, the production was kind of like prodding them about Bigfoot. Like, Hey, what do you think? that, you know, what do you think about Bigfoot? Do you think Bigfoot did that? Do you think this was Bigfoot or, you know, what are you going to do if you see a Bigfoot and, you know, asking Kyle, like, what kind of gun would you shoot a Bigfoot with? And, you know, do you think you can keep the guy safe from Bigfoot? And that seemed to be going on for a little while, but now that we're like on the seventh episode here, the team is like in full Bigfoot mode. Everything is a Bigfoot. Uh, and I know, you know, Several of the videos and productions that I've been involved in, people say the same thing. Oh, it's a typical Bigfoot stuff. Like every noise, you know, every crack in the woods is a Bigfoot. And, you know, I've got, first of all, I've got several videos out there where I'll hear something and then I'll be like, oh no, it's a deer or oh, it's this or that. You know, I have, I have several of those videos out. Um, Nobody ever comments that on those videos. But I mean, if you're in the woods looking for, if you're go deer hunting and you're in the woods and you're sitting on a log and you hear a crack behind you, you're going to wonder, Hey, I wonder if that's a deer. Cause you're looking for fucking deer. So <laughs> if you're looking for Bigfoot and you hear a crack in the woods, you're going to go, Hey, I wonder if that's a Bigfoot. Cause you're looking for freaking Bigfoot. That's how it works. <laughs> that's how looking for things work. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so guy is out walking around by himself And now he decides that we're like 30 days in now. Guy decides we got to get a picture of Nantanok. They've got to get a Bigfoot on camera. uh, Because obviously they haven't had the opportunity to in the last 30 days. Uh, Again, I make note they haven't addressed what's going on here with the tent. Uh, Are they sleeping on the ground? Are they sleeping in a tree? What happened? You know, last I remember their tent was smashed. Um guy is still walking through the woods. He hears something and he runs away. And I made a note. I said, this actually kind of felt a little bit genuine, uh, because he, and this is kind of weird. Cause he, he's making, he, so I'm sorry, I'm stuttering. I'm getting excited. So the camera's like pointed at him. I can't remember if it was a selfie cam, like a diary cam, or if he actually had a cameraman with him, but he kept looking at the camera and he goes, I literally hear something behind me. There's literally something right over there. Like there's literally, he kept saying literally. And 
it made me wonder if like that was their code, like the production team's code for like, Oh shit, there really is something here. You know, like this isn't like part of the storyline or whatever. Like there really is a noise over there. And I don't, excuse me, I'm getting, uh, I'm getting congested from talking so much. Uh, I'm getting my, um, my days confused here, but I, I wish I could go back and like notice every time if you guys ever watch this and, uh, just take note if between the time somebody says like, I hear something over there or I see something over there, or I literally see something or literally hear something. Cause I'm starting to wonder if maybe the word literally wasn't some kind of code for like, there really is something here <clears throat> again. It might, I might just be looking too far into it, but he sure seemed intent on saying that word. Like there's literally something over there. There's literally something here. I literally heard a branch snap. So we're on to day 31 and they're out fishing again. Uh, I made, I made the comment. I was like, if our stupid asses could find fish in Port Chatham, I don't understand why these people can't. <laughs> of course, we didn't catch any monsters either. We only caught a couple of little flounders, but, um, I thought it was, a, it was a interesting choice that, you know, we had some fishing going on in our documentary and then they show them fishing on their show. But I mean, it's Alaska, you know, you got to fish, right? So they, um, go through the long line and they don't get anything. And then, uh, they're driving their boat back to camp and they say something hit the boat. I don't know. It was like, of course it happens right before it goes to commercial. So there's like a quick cut and everybody just kind of lurches. Well, there's only two of them. I think it's guy and, um, Keith or maybe DJ and Keith. I don't remember. And, and they kind of lurch forward and then it goes to commercial I don't know. Personally, I don't really think they hit anything. I think it was just for the camera uh, because the guys, you know, they lurch forward, but the, the cameraman didn't lurch. The camera didn't lurch backwards. So it didn't, the camera movements didn't match the movements of everybody else on the camera or on the boat. Um, possibly they had some kind of stabilizing rig or something for the camera, but I just, given the nature of the show up to this point, I don't buy it. I mean, if you, if you really want to, if you're really dead set on it, I mean, you can make excuses for every discrepancy mistake and just everything that happens on the show and convince yourself that it's a real show. I mean, people are doing it. I've seen it. So they go, um, so we're back from commercial after they hit something in the boat. Um, we cut to a story from Tommy, the village elder, where he talks about hitting something in the boat. He says he thinks it was the Nantanok and that it came from the ocean. <clears throat> um, and then it cuts to day 32. Uh, they once again drive the boat, the little skiff to Homer. Uh, and there's, they say they're going in for some supplies because uh, they can't catch any fish. And they're walking down the, uh, the Homer Harbor there. And there's just a couple of guys just standing there just where they, I mean, cause you gotta, I mean, <clears throat> for a small town, the Homer actually has a pretty big Harbor. So they just happen to be, uh, on the same float that these two guys are hanging out on and walk by these guys who go, Hey, are you the guys, uh, camping at Port Chatham? I mean, it's just, <laughs> this, this is, uh, it reminded me of the scene in, uh, expedition Bigfoot season two, 
where they were basically they were in Kentucky and they were having all this activity going on. They were having a bunch of stuff going on. And one of the guys is like getting gas and it's like random stranger dude, like walks up to him and is like, I saw a Bigfoot in Washington and he calls the team members and is like, pack your shit. We're going to Washington. <laughs> so this stranger at a gas station told me Bigfoot's in Washington. So we got to go. <clears throat> so these random dudes that they meet on the float, tell them they work in a Marine excavation <clears throat> and end up telling them about a, a few, uh, mysterious boats, boat sinkings that have happened around Port Chatham. Um, I, I didn't look, uh, they actually mentioned the name of some of the boats. Uh, I didn't look any of these up. Uh, I feel like they're, they're probably true. Uh, but they, I mean, who knows if they actually sink here or not. Uh, but the thing is, I mean, this is, this is Alaska, like boats go down quite a bit. I mean, that was basically the entire premise of the deadliest catch, right? It's the deadliest job in the world. Uh, <clears throat> you know, boats, boats go down, people lose their life at it. It happens. Um, and now they're trying to blame Nantanok on boat sinking. I just, I thought that was a little, a little weird. And of course it had to sync up with Keith hitting something in his boat. So apparently the Nantanok can take out a steamship and a, um, a barge but it can't take out Keith's little skiff. So I don't know. A little weird. Uh, and so I thought this was interesting. The two, the two Marine salvage guys, the two guys, uh, tell them that, um, there's a theory that there's a portal under the water in Port Chatham that has a sea monster in it. So that's, that's interesting. I never, I had never once come across that. That's a new one on me. So then Keith and Ash go back to camp um, <clears throat> camp seems to be put back together. Their, their tent is, is back and operate. Their tent is resurrected from the dead. Uh, they never explain how, uh, they're telling everybody about the, the Marine excavators they ran into and the stories about the shipwrecks. And then somebody's like, well, Hey, Ron Moorhead left us a care package. <laughs> <clears throat> like what the fuck? So, he sent them uh, red lights and some kind of electronic like grid uh, projector. And I wasn't quite sure what the purpose of this thing was. I thought it was a tripwire when I first saw him playing with it. I'm like, oh, okay. So like Bigfoot walks, breaks the, the beam and an alarm goes off somewhere. Well, apparently it's just a, it's just a, a grid that's projected uh, in front of you, like a, like, like a projection TV. And if something walks in front of the grid, well then it breaks the grid and you can see it. I don't know. It doesn't make any, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I, it, it reminded me of some kind of like leveling laser leveler thing that like a, a, um, a construction worker would, would use or something. And, um, so then they go to this area that they found, <clears throat> where they think, uh, the Nantanok knocked all these trees down. They, they, uh, gave the, um, impression that Nan- the Nantanok knocked all these trees down to, to funnel game into, to, you know, catch the game to hunt. And at this point, like Ash gives this big dissertation about how Bigfoot makes like tree structures and traps and 
you know, just matter of factly states all this stuff. And so now Ash has gone from outdoorsman to survivalist to Bigfoot expert. So what a, what, what a uh, surprising uh, turn of events. Uh, so they, <clears throat> in classic uh, Scooby-Doo fashion, they set up in different areas around this hunting ground. Uh, Ash sets in a tree, hears a tree knock, sees a shadow. And of course they start having battery problems. Uh, they have flashback to the previous electrical problems. And this was an interesting addition. Now they're starting to see flashing lights in the woods. And <clears throat> I mean, it's literally like they're doing like a checklist of Bigfoot tropes. Like, you know, somebody, the producer's sitting in the corner with a clipboard and he's like, all right, uh, these guys said they saw flashing lights when they saw Bigfoot. So we got to have flashing lights. Uh, these guys said, uh, there was infrasound and they felt sick when they saw Bigfoot. So we got to have that. Uh, these guys said they heard tree knocks when they saw Bigfoot. So we got to have that. And these guys said, you know, they had uh, electrical problems when they saw Bigfoot. So we got to, I mean, just, I mean, it's literally like they're just going down and checking things off. <clears throat> And they're calling this place the Nantanok Hunting Grounds. And I said, it's amazing. I've walked through that area a dozen times and I never got attacked once. Um, they find like this, this path or this like walkway through the woods. Um, they think maybe it was uh, a walkway to the water source. I'm not exactly sure where they are at this point. I think I, I think I know, but I'm not sure. <clears throat> and the um, narrator says that 30 people disappeared on that path. Again, like, where are they getting these numbers? Please show your work. I, I don't <laughs> just, they're just making shit up, man. Um, and this, this was another one of those moments. That's just such a force. So they're standing around talking and all of a sudden one of the guys is like, where's Ash? And they all start like, Ash, Ash, Ash. They all start screaming for Ash. And he just like pops out of the woods and he's like, Hey, I'm right here, guys. <laughs> It's just, man. So we jump ahead to day 34. They're fishing. And I think this is like the third. I'm actually surprised how much time they spent on the fishing. I think at this point they're just trying to fill, fill time. Um, it's the only mission, in fact, that they haven't given up on immediately once it became hard or scary. Uh, pretty much everything else, once they either heard a, a twig snap or had some kind of adversity. They're just like, well, screw this. Let's go build a bathhouse or, you know, let's go, you know, look over here now, or let's go do this. And, um, seeing, seeing, I got to admit though, seeing them out there on that boat, uh, pulling in those lines on a real, it was a really nice day. Like the sun was shining. It looked like a fantastic day. It actually made me miss the place just a little bit. I was like, man, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind heading back out there and walking around. <clears throat> and they, and this was funny. So they finally, after, I don't know how many attempts, they finally, finally, they catch a halibut. They catch like one halibut that they say is like a 60 pounder. And so they, they catch one fish and they make the proclamation that Portlock has enough fish to sustain a new population. Keep in mind, this has been there or this has been after they've been there for 34 days they literally had to go into town to get supplies because they couldn't catch any fish. They catch one fish and now they're ready to feed an entire town. So that's some impressive shit right there. Uh, and I make a note in my notes here. I said, I, I'm, I'm guessing that since they caught a fish, something's going to happen. That's going to, 
you know, they're going to face some uh, retribution or retaliation for taking resources from the Nantanox land. <clears throat> and I also, I had another re- uh, revelation around this time. And keep in mind, we're on like the, this is the seventh episode. Um, there has been absolutely no shots whatsoever of wildlife. Uh, they haven't, I think they, the reason I, I thought of that is because while they were doing this, uh, fishing scene here, they showed like a Harbor seal off in the distance, like roll around in the water. And then they showed like an Eagle <clears throat> and I don't remember there being any other shots of wildlife in the, in the series. And, uh, I thought that was kind of weird. You'd think that if they were there for 40 days, they would have ran into a moose or a bear or something, or at least ran into one in somewhere around Homer and got footage of it. It's kind of weird. Uh, so DJ, he cooks their halibut. He th- cooks up some pretty thick fillets. Uh, let's see. So it's day 34 of their 40 day expedition. Uh, they start talking about how there's going to be a lot more fish to eat. Uh, it seemed, I mean, they, they, it's weird cause they're like, right. At, they're basically where they should be winding down this expedition. And they're talking about how like things are looking up and you know, things are going better, are going to be better from now on and stuff. And it's, uh, it's like, man, it's like almost time to leave. Like why <laughs> it gets better though. It gets better as far as that in that regard. So after they eat their fish, um, they start, uh, there's, there's a thick fog coming in and they're going back to the hunting ground. They're going to try their, uh, laser grid tripwire thing that Ron Moorhead give them. They've got their red lights out now. So now they're acting more like uh, Bigfoot hunters. And <clears throat> so th- this is a interesting observation that I made here. So I said, I'm pretty sure that fog is from a fog machine. seems to be centralized in only locations and only in certain locations and they're able, able to film what they need to, and to film them without being in the fog, basically. So they keep talking about like, oh, it's foggy, it's foggy, it's so weird, it's so foggy, you know, the, it's so foggy. But then they'll set down and they'll be like, and this is, you know, this is a, we're going to use Ron Moorhead's like tripwire thing he gave us. And there's no fog whatsoever around them. And then there's a couple of scenes where you see you can literally see the fog streaming in like it's being pushed in in a line like it's coming out of a funnel <clears throat> and it's coming up you know you can literally see the fog being pumped in from off screen and i'm not a meteorologist but i've never seen fog that did that and i thought man they've got a freaking fog machine out there so they put their little grid thing up. Um, they're sitting around and then they, of course <clears throat> they have a invisible Bigfoot run through their grid. Uh, you only get to see it for a couple seconds. Uh, it's just basically a distortion on the grid, you know, kind of looks like the, the predator, um, glimmer man type distortion. Uh, because you know, obviously that's, that's something that happened uh, to us out there. So it has to happen to them. And this scene was like really, really chaotic. Um, it was, it was so weird. And I, I'm just going to read you directly from my notes. Uh, this is some of the most confusing shit I've ever seen. <clears throat> they sit on a log, uh, stare at the grid, and then 
they're like, there it is, there it is. Do you see movement over there? And then they point, uh, they all point in different directions. And then DJ gets up, turns on the light, uh, the white light. And they're like, no, 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 you're going to scare it away. And then guy says, let's get out of here. So (laughs) I'm not exactly sure what happened, but I know at some point they show the grid square thing and they show some like distortions that are supposed to be the Bigfoot walking through the grid. So, um, I mean, this Bigfoot literally fits all of the Bigfoot tropes in the world. Like it turns invisible, it affects electronics, it makes people sick, it does tree knocks. I mean, it's, it's it does it all. So in this scene, the next scene, they're sitting around a campfire, getting ready to go to bed or whatever. And one of them like perks up and it goes, look, a fire, there's a fire in the woods. And the camera cuts over and you see an orange light, not flames. Keep in mind, you're not seeing flames. You're just seeing an orange, there's an orange glowing light and smoke. And they're like the spooky trees on fire. So they run and somehow or another, they have buckets laying around that they all grab buckets. They run and get water out of the ocean and they start running into woods toward the spooky tree to put the fire out. And again, we end on a cliffhanger and they're running into peril where our heroes survive until next week. Uh, will the spooky tree burn down? And again, when they, when they showed us the fire, when they switched the, the cameras over to the fire, I mean, I, again, I was like, I was like, they totally have a, a freaking fog machine out there. Like that's totally, I've been to enough concerts, people. Beans has been to enough concerts. He knows what a fog machine looks like. And, um, it was just, there's no flames. There's no crackle of a fire. It's just like an orange light and the smoke machine. And so they run off with their, with their water toward the fire and episode seven ends. And so we get into the, the final episode of Alaskan killer Bigfoot episode eight. All right, guys. So to tell you about episode eight, I have to tell you, so remember on episode seven, I was just talking about how I mentioned like they, they go in, they, they have the fog and they're the, I mean, it was just, it was obviously uh, like fake pumped in fog from like a, a fog machine. And then they had the fire at the end of the episode <clears throat> where um, you know, you see the, this, this fog smoke and the, and the red light, but you don't really see any flames. And so I sat down to watch episode eight and I'm thinking like, okay, you know, they've, they've kind of pushed their luck with the fog machine. You know, I'm, I'm betting this episode's going to be, you know, the last episode's going to be a little bit different. <clears throat> They're probably not going to, um, press their luck with that fog machine anymore. So I sat down, I open up the Discovery Plus app. I go to the Alaskan Killer Bigfoot uh, season one episodes. I scroll over to the la- the final episode, episode eight. <clears throat> I swear to God, I if I had been filming my reactions 
it would be gold. The thumbnail, so like the little preview of the episode for episode eight, I swear to God, is a dude standing. I thought it was Keith initially, but I found out later after I watched the episode, it's not. I thought it was Keith standing there shooting the obelisk with a fog machine. (laughs) Holy cow. I mean, they're not even trying to hide it, people. They're not even trying to hide it. They don't care. (laughs) I mean, wow. They're like, we got, we rented this fog machine. We're going to use it. (laughs) We're going to get our money's worth out of this fog machine. So it's just funny because I I put in my notes. I'm like, uh, let's see. This is the final, I'm going to read my notes here. This is the final episode of season one. Nantanox is, oh yeah. So the title is uh, Nantanox Exercise. God, I'm sorry. I've been talking for like two hours. I can't. <clears throat> Nantanok's exorcism. Uh, Nantanok is spelled the in my in my opinion the incorrect way in the title. Uh, this is my notes. This is the final episode of season one. Nantanok is spelled wrong in the title. Uh, on the Discovery Plus website or app, the thumbnail for the episode shows who I believe is Keith holding some sort of smoke machine up to the obelisk. Uh, on the last episode, I was commenting on how I thought the fog and smoke, uh, was manufactured and I put, they're not even trying to hide it. <laughs> so remember the last episode, there was a cliffhanger where they thought that the spooky tree was on fire. They grabbed these conveniently placed buckets of water run into the woods. Okay. So this episode begins and they actually, um, instead of just like picking it up the next day or something, like I thought they probably would, you know, they, it would start back the next day and they'd be in camp like, Oh man, it's a good thing. We got that fire out, but no, no, they didn't do it. They actually resolved the cliffhanger kind of, and they have the guys run. You they run into the woods. Uh, they're, they run in, to where the spooky tree is. Uh, they're no longer carrying their buckets. They've got their headlamps on <laughs> like they're compl- I'm probably dressed in different clothes than they were when they left the camp with the buckets. And, um, there's no fire. They're just like, what? I, I saw a fire. I saw a fire too. And the fire has mysteriously vanished. So we cut to day 35. There's 30, there's five days left on their 40 day expedition. Or four days left, however you look at it. <clears throat> so Keith calls Tommy on the sat phone, says they need some help. Tommy says he'll send someone, and another helicopter shows up. I'm not even sure. This might, I don't even know if I calculated this in my $20,000 budget for airfare. I think um, this might be added on to that. Might be another <clears throat> um, seven or $8,000 there. So the helicopter comes in, drops off a paranormal team headed by a demonologist. And to quote my notes, I put, holy fucking shit. (laughs) Everything is demons now. Um, I guess thanks to the, to the, um, oh, who were the people from the, uh, is it the conjuring? Oh gosh. Uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren. 
<clears throat> so every those movies are popular, so everything's demons now. Um, so their names are Liam, Cat with a K, and Tiffany, and they call them, or at least they're billed on the screen as the Alaska Paranormal Response Crew. Uh, they say they specialize in possessions. And they're going to send their sensitive through the, the, the woods, uh, to see what she feels. Uh, and I said in my notes here, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, it's not going to be anything good. <laughs> uh, so I don't remember if I have it later in my notes or not. So I'm going to go ahead and say it now. Uh, I can't speak for the other, the, the two females, Kat and Tiffany. Uh, but the guy, Liam, his name is not Liam. <laughs> I mean, it took me all of about five or six minutes on Facebook to find this dude and he one i don't think he lives in alaska two his name isn't fucking liam uh so make of that what you will why wouldn't you want to use your real identity on a show on on a tv show it doesn't make any sense to me but what, what whatever it doesn't matter um or maybe liam is his real name and then he uses like a um, pseudonym online or something. I don't know, but I'm not going to out him here. Cause I honestly, I don't give a shit, but <clears throat> it's kind of weird. Like why, why do people have two names? I'm not talking about like a nickname. Uh, so Tiffany, uh, they show us a lot of scenes of Tiffany's backside as she's walking through the woods. Uh, she walks through the red cabin. <clears throat> she says there was a family that lived there and the man never came home. Oh, and she, of course, knows nothing about Port Chatham whatsoever. Uh, They just flew these people in here, I guess, probably without even telling them where they were going. Uh, Then we get a flashback of them talking about all the people that went missing there. Again, she says she senses the darkness rolling off the hill like a fog. Uh, They take her to the obelisk. Uh, She starts to get queasy, having headaches, stomach aches. Uh, (laughs) No one is surprised as I am. Uh, she says the darkness has claimed the land for itself and doesn't want us there. Uh, says it's drawing energy and power from the trees. Then we have another flashback to Ron Moorhead saying that Bigfoot draws his energy from the trees. It's pretty convenient that all this stuff is kind of lining up with what some of the other people have said, huh? I mean, it's almost like it's almost like it was scripted. Uh, she's walking around with a notebook and oh, this was, so she kept walking around with this notebook and I never saw her take any notes. And I, I said, I can't help but think she has her lines written in it. <laughs> uh, she smells a foul odor, says there's something up on the ridge watching them and she's going to go find it. Uh, she said there was a huge, tall humanoid dark figure with long arms, basically describes Bigfoot. Um, yeah. And again, they don't like None of these people, they don't tell us their last names. Uh, some of them, like the historian they did. I don't know, it's kind of weird. Uh, and then they throw in a quick interview here with a guy that I I know of from from town. I don't know him well. I don't I don't know that I've ever spoken to him. Uh, but they inter- they're interviewing him at one of the local uh, coffee shops. I think he used to be uh, like a missionary or something. And he says that Bigfoot is a demon. And... Um, uh, yeah, I said, well, they've, they've used up all the other Bigfoot, like, try, I mean, I'm surprised they didn't work UFOs into this somehow. I guess UFOs aren't popular enough anymore to be included. Uh, so after Mr. Prowse tells us again, show your work, sir, prove that they're demons. Uh, 
they're around the fire. She's saying, Tiffany's saying this, this is more powerful than anything she's ever felt before. Never felt anything like it. Uh, she actually, she used the word ginormous, <laughs> which is awesome. Um, that's just, that was like a private joke between some of my friends there for a while. So I thought it was funny that she said it. Uh, and then the demonologist proclaims, uh, that this is an upper class demon, uh, otherwise known as an elemental. Um, I'm not f- familiar with, with the demons. So, uh, I'm, I'm, I have no way to refute that. I might as well just go with it. Let's say it. It's a demon. Um, <laughs> so the line delivery from the team here is, is atrocious. I, I put it in my notes. It sounds like that the, the lines are being read by a computer. They're just like, you know, what can we do against a demon? You know, like, can you help us? Um, it's, it's terrible. <clears throat> so it's daytime and they're going to go show the demonologist around. They take him to the cabin and the spooky tree, uh, the demonologist walks up to the spooky tree and he literally says like, that's a creepy, a creepy tree. <laughs> uh, they go, they don't say much about the obelisk. And so here we go. They, they asked, they've asked the demonologist, they're like, can you cleanse the town? He says, we've never, he says, I don't think we've ever done anything this big. He says, they've got to break out the nuclear option. And so this is where they burst out the, they're literally using the fog machine from the last episode that they use to create the fog. Um, he says he's putting into the fog machine, a mixture of uh, rose water, sage and holy water. <clears throat> and um, by the way, they never mentioned, they never addressed the fact that when the crew got off the helicopter uh, and arrived, none of them had a, a bag big enough to contain this, this fog machine. So, uh, apparently they, they, maybe they left and went back and got it. I don't know. I don't know how they knew they were going to need it, but, uh, it just magically, one of them has a bag of holding apparently. So for those of you that aren't initiated, a bag of holding is something that you get in Dungeons and Dragons. And it's basically like, it can be like a normal backpack, but it's bottomless. You can put whatever you want in there. And then like, if you want your, I don't know, you want your machine gun, then you just reach into the bag and pull out your machine gun or whatever. <clears throat> even though it's too big to physically fit in the bag, it can fit in there because magic. Um, so I, I put in my notes here that at this point, like the worst part, I mean, the worst part for this, for me about this is that they're calling, you know, Bigfoot a demon or whatever. And they're using their fog machine that they've been using for the last couple of episodes. And the worst part for me is that I know there are people that are like 100% believing this and just buying into it hook, line and sinker. And that's, <clears throat> it makes me sad. <laughs> it, it makes my, uh, it makes my heart hurt. Uh, just, just to know that they're, I don't know. And at the same time, it's like, I mean, who, who, who do you get mad at? Do you get mad at the person that's gullible enough to believe it? Or do you get mad at them for putting it out there? I, I, I don't know. 
Uh, at this point, I said, okay, it wasn't Keith that was spraying the obelisk with the fog machine and the thumbnail. It was Liam, the demonologist, who's actually not Liam. He's actually somebody else. <clears throat> Uh, they show him spraying the cleansing agent around as he says a prayer. Um, you know, I'm not a particularly religious person, but I kind I just, I felt like this was a little disrespectful. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe he a hundred percent believes in what he's doing and thinks that what he's doing is the right thing and the real thing. But it just kind of struck me as, not being very uh, respectful, either both to Port Chatham and to uh, religion in general. But I mean, I guess like in any movie, if they dress an actor up as a priest and tell him to do priest things, I mean, is that disrespectful? It's like, I guess that's probably how they're looking at it. So uh, the paranormal team has done their cleansing. They're getting ready to leave. Uh, they actually, and I thought this was a nice touch. They actually carry the fog machine over to the helicopter, <clears throat> but we don't see them put it on. Uh, they just kind of walk over and turn around and say their goodbyes. And, um, they say that they're almost, um, at the end of the mission. And if the ceremony didn't work, then, uh, they're going to have to come back or something. I, I don't know. I, I kind of got the feeling that they're setting us up for, for, um, for something here. Like they're, they're setting us up for something to happen. Uh, and maybe it's going to end on a cliffhanger. And I said, it's going to be one of either two things. It's going to be either one or two things. Uh, they're going to declare the mission a success, but leave the door open a little bit, or it's going to fail and they're going to have to go back and do it right. So I kind of felt like that's where they were going, uh, with it. <clears throat> and, they come back, the paranormal team leaves, they go to commercial, comes back from commercial. It's day 39. So, I mean, basically they've just got one more day to go. And, uh, they're wondering if the, they say it's been several days and they're wondering if the ceremony has been successful. Um, so at this point I had like paused it to, to do something. And I noticed there's like 15 minutes left in the episode. And I was thinking like, man, this, this is like, there's 15 minutes left. Like, what are they going to do for 15 more minutes? Like they're setting us up for something. I was like, surely, uh, they're not just going to, this is, I swear to God, I said this, I said, they're not just going to walk around and enjoy the scenery for 15 minutes. <clears throat> so they get a, they get a call from Tommy or whatever. And he says, uh, he says, we're going to build you a cabin. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck? it's the last day. So they're going to, they're going to build them a cabin to sleep in for the last night. So this dude, uh, shows up and they build a little, they call it a cab. It's not really even a cabin. It's like a, a shed and they build. Uh, so this is the point, like, remember, you know, I was telling you guys like, man, I thought this was a little disrespectful. I thought, you know, I don't know. I just had a bad feeling about it. This is where, it got really bad for me personally is seeing them build this like brand new building next to the red cabin. Uh, I don't know. I just did not like it. I didn't like it even a little bit. I just felt like it was bad. Like it not, and not even like bad, like in the, it's going to piss an Antonok off, like bad. Like it was disrespectful. Uh, again, it's not my land. They can do whatever they want with it. 
but I just kind of felt like, man, you know, that, that red cabin, it's been there. It's like the, this little obstinate, like, you know, pebble in the storm and it's sitting there and now they're building this freaking lean to next to it. I don't know. It just didn't set right with me. So they build their little, their little lean to their little cabin and they're like, Oh, it's going to be nice to sleep in this instead of the tent. And again, so it cuts to them like settling in for the night. And again, we've got like the security camera that's like hanging up in the, in the cabin. And again, like, I think this is actually worse than the tent. Like they're all crammed in there. Like the, the three stooges again. Like, I mean, they're literally like nuts to butts. I mean, it is tight in there. And, um, they lay down to go to sleep and then you hear like this thud, this bang on the cabin. There's ominous music and it cuts the commercial and you're like, Oh no, you know, the ceremony didn't work. The knocks back and it comes back from commercial. And one of the guys is like, Oh, sorry, I kicked the wall. So it cuts to day 40, uh, the last day. And I'm thinking, I'm wondering like, what are they going to do? You know, like again, they, they've got several minutes left with the show. Like what the hell are they going to do? Uh, and a boat shows up, a landing craft shows up <clears throat> and the, uh, the, the family members of the team sh- show up. Like they've got their wives and kids and uh, cousins and nephews and they show up. And I was kind of surprised at this because I was thinking, you know, I've always said I would never take my family there even, even for just like a picnic. Um, and the narrator says, uh, these are the first sanctioned guests to Portlock in 70 years. <laughs> I respectfully disagree, sir. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I don't know if I was, I guess, I guess we were guests. I mean, we had permission to be there. So that, that, the first time they said something like that was in the first episode <clears throat> where DJ says, so, do you think we're the first people here in 70 years? And they, they kind of left it a little ambiguous, but this, they literally said, these are the first sanctioned guests to Portlock in 70 years. So bullshit. Uh, they take their family, they, they literally take their families and like show them around. Like they're taking their little kids and shit and like showing them like all the stuff that they found, like the footprints that they think they found and the tree with the hole in it and the pit And I said, I said, I can't fucking believe it. They literally spent the last 15 minutes walking around enjoying the scenery. I said, they sure showed me, um, they did. I mean, I, they subverted my expectations. (laughs) I was like, I did not expect that, that, um, I have to say if, if anything, um, I, I was uh, utterly shocked by the, uh, how, how bad the show was. And I was utterly shocked by the ending. Cause I was like, there's, they just, they have like a picnic with their, with their kids. Um, they, they have a nice cooking. It actually seemed like a nice scene. Uh, it felt like, you know, <clears throat> a nice wrap up. And so they have their, their picnic, uh, you know, they, they DJ fix everybody a nice, uh, a nice meal. And, uh, then the family members leave and now the team members are getting ready to leave and they're all like, um, you know, did you get everything? Are we done? And one of them goes, look, you know, what's that? And their new cabin is on fire and they just show it for just a quick, quick second. Like a, you know, like a, maybe one Mississippi cut 
and then maybe cut back to it for like another Mississippi and cut. So I, I couldn't get a really good look at it. Um, to me, the flames didn't really look right. And there wasn't enough smoke for that kind of a fire. Like it was just like, it was more flame than fire, which made me think that the flames were added in. And then, you know, it basically ends with, with Keith saying, Oh no, what's happening again. And that's the end of the episode. And that's the end of the season one. So I happen to know that, um, another, a gentleman who went there to, to Portlock after they were done filming. And I thought, man, this will be a nice, um, opportunity. Like I can ask him if that cabin was still there or if it was burnt or they tore it down or like what, you know, what's going on with it. So, uh, I reached out to him and I said, I was like, Hey man, do you know, you know, like was the day was the cabin that they built next to the, to the red cabin still there. And the guy who I believe is a, a connoisseur of the devil's lettuce, uh, basically was like, I didn't watch the show, man. I don't, I don't know. So, and other, I, I just felt like it wasn't worth, uh, my time and frustration to, uh, try to explain to him what I was saying. So I, I just gave up. Uh, he did say that they left a bunch of shit behind and that he used their sauna. So, uh, apparently like the sauna is unmolested. Their banya. So there you go, guys. That's, um, that's it, man. Um, I wanted to, uh, address a couple of things, uh, before I get out of here, because like I said, this is the last time that I'm going to talk about this. Uh, even if there are future seasons, uh, this is, this is all the attention that Alaska killer Bigfoot is getting on Alaska watch. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to mention something that, um, I kind of, uh, I am noticed. So about the time that, uh, this production company started, uh, contacting me and I found out that they were going to be filming in Port Chatham and all this stuff was going on. Um, I opened up Google maps and I went to, to Port Chatham and was like looking on Google maps at Port Chatham. And you know how, when you look at Google maps, it'll tell you, uh, if they're like, look at nearby businesses and stuff. <clears throat> well, I open Google maps. I look at Port Chatham and it says that there is, uh, like a business there or an attraction or something. And I'm like, what the hell is this? And I clicked on it and it was, a. it said it was a attraction called cryptid trails. And there was, I've, I, I don't remember if I, I don't think I took a screenshot of it or anything. I just was like, what the hell? And I think I remember I shared it maybe with Adam and Steven. I don't remember. I want to say I did, but, um, I felt like I thought, well, they're going to start having tours out there or something like somebody's going to start some kind of a, a business out there, probably, you know, hand in hand with this show. Like basically they're going to, the show's going to go out. It's going to make Port Chatham famous and then they're going to start selling tours out there. Well, that, uh, that business or attraction was, was there on the map for a couple of weeks. And then it just went away one day when I went to look at it again. Um, 
you know, I think what I could, I think something I maybe could do is, uh, look in the business licensing and see if there's a business license for it. I didn't think to do that. Um, but on, on the other hand, I'm like, how much effort do I really want to put into it? It's not going to, it's not going to, it's not going to prove that Bigfoot's real. If I do that, you know, who cares? Uh, it's kind of a waste of time, I guess. But, uh, yeah. So that was, that was kind of weird. I, I kind of feel like they're setting something like that up that, uh, maybe the, uh, the tribe is, is going to start, uh, trying to capitalize on, on the history of Port Chatham. Uh, I don't, I'm not quite sure how I feel about that. I mean, I don't know. It, it seems a little like morbid to me. Uh, if you're, if you're trying to, to get money based on the deaths of people, you know, like, Hey, come see where all these people died. <laughs> I don't know. I, or allegedly died. Uh, so yeah, I wanted to bring that up because I just I kind of thought that was weird. I don't think that it would do well if you sold tours uh, out there because I, I don't think people that are interested in that kind of stuff uh, really necessarily are willing to pay that kind of money because it would probably be a pretty expensive trip, and then you would have to get to Alaska in the first place, which is pretty freaking expensive. So I don't know. I, I, I thought it was kind of weird, <clears throat> and. Uh, the other thing I kind of, I wanted to kind of throw out there and address is, um, and I haven't made a final decision on this, but I was toying with at the time, uh, writing another book about Port Chatham and, and maybe doing it a little bit more, uh, of a historical perspective, uh, you know, focusing less on the legends and more on the actual history of the place. And I think I have pretty much decided, uh, not to do that. I'm not going to pursue that. <clears throat> and one of the reasons is uh, because of the show. It has uh, literally put so much disinformation out there that I don't think a book that came out that basically told the accurate uh, history of the place uh, would be well-received. I think it would probably get slaughtered in, in like Amazon reviews and stuff uh, with people basically saying like, you know, this book is bullshit. I saw an Alaska killer Bigfoot that the Spanish conquered that place first or something like that. So I, uh, I think I've kind of abandoned any plans to write about Port Chatham in the future. And I've pretty much abandoned any plans of, uh, going back there. Uh, I think that, uh, I'm pretty much just going to have to leave it behind. Um, I don't, believe I'm ever going to get the resources or the uh, means to go back there or the permission for that matter. And, uh, I just don't think it's ever going to happen. <clears throat> Plus, um, you know, already being involved in, in search of the Port Chatham, Harry man, the Alaska triangle. Uh, I am dreading the day and it's coming if it hasn't already happened. Uh, when someone hears that I was involved in those things and assumes that I was involved in Alaska killer Bigfoot. So that's uh that's a concern I have that people are going to associate me with that production. So anyway, um, one more note and we will close the Alaska watch book on Alaska killer Bigfoot forever. Um, this is in regards to one of the cast members uh, of the show. And notice I say cast member and not, not uh, team member. 
But um, he, I think most of the people that were on the show, they live around here. They live locally. <clears throat> and, you know, it, it is a small town. And in small towns, people happen to run into each other. Um, and travel in, you know, small circles, stuff like that. Well, one of the cast members, I'm not going to mention which one it is. Uh, just Let's just say it's one of the more prominent cast members and, and one of the ones that was more uh, outgoing, I guess we'll say. He had the most titles. Uh, again, and let me preface this by saying, you know, I don't typically, I don't talk about politics. I don't get into politics. I don't really care. I try to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. Um, you know, obviously I have my political belief, which is that nobody cares about us. <laughs> nobody in any position of power, uh, gives a shit about you, uh, no matter what side you root for. Um, but obviously I have certain political leanings. Uh, and I oftentimes, you know, I see people post things on, on the internet, uh, people that I'm friends with, they post things. And I'm not one of those people that will unfriend somebody or delete somebody because they have a different political viewpoint than me. Uh, I've said many times, you know, if everybody thought the same and felt the same, then the world would be pretty different. Uh, that being said, however, there is one thing that will get someone immediately booted off of my social medias. Um, and that is basically, uh, talking about, uh, law enforcement and a negative light. Um, I have no tolerance for that whatsoever. Uh, and you know, I, I don't mind for people to be uh, critical of the police or critique the police in certain man in a certain way. Uh, but I think when you basically just paint them all with the same, like all cops are, you know, bastards or whatever the saying is, uh, it's, it's the exact same kind of vitriol and racism that you're accusing. Well, you're accusing them of most of the time. So for the most part, uh, I don't care, you know, what you think about, uh, politics or anything like that. But if I see any kind of uh, behavior in that regard, I will immediately delete and block somebody uh, without a second thought. And there's there's a few people out there that have made, uh, I think they got locked out of their old accounts and they've tried to refriend me. <laughs> and I keep deleting their friend requests and I'm sure they're wondering what the hell's going on. But it's it's because you made negative comments about the, the law enforcement. Um, so anyway, with that being said, uh, I don't really bear any any uh, ill will or anything to any of the cast members that were on Alaskan Killer Bigfoot. You know, they're not in the Bigfoot community. They were probably offered, you know, some money to do a show. And to them, it was probably just, you know, hey, you know, we can play around out in the woods for a few days and uh, they'll give us some money. And, you know, whatever whatever that's fine but uh one of the cast members posted in one of the local community groups uh here that i'm a member of <clears throat> i'm not friends with this person on facebook but i because we're in the same group i could see his post and he posted something so despicable and horrible and offensive that um 
I mean, it may generally, you know, I don't have a lot of hate in my heart for anybody. I'm just like, oh, you know, hey, whatever, you know, live and let live. I'm a pretty laid back guy. This guy posted something so nasty that I was offended and it's hard to offend me. Like I, you know, I get my feelings hurt, but I mean, and, and people throw that word around like that offended me. I was offended. Well, no, you just don't like it. Um, I was offended, like really offended, like the true meaning of the word offended, not it hurt my feelings. I was offended. Um, and it wasn't just for me. It was for the people that I used to work with and the people that still work there at, uh, in law enforcement. And it was such a, it was, it was just such a, uh, terrible comment that, I, I don't feel like any, basically nothing. That, if the dude literally drug a dead Bigfoot out of the woods, uh, I still would, I wouldn't care. I'd be, oh, was that guy? Forget it. Don't care. Good luck. Uh, so basically, yeah, I just, um, I lost any, not that I had a ton of respect for the guy to begin with, but uh, completely lost any type of uh, empathy or anything I had for the dude at that point. Uh, I just, he, he does not exist to me in any way at all and uh, never will as far as I'm concerned. So anyway, uh, you know, that's, those are your heroes, people. Those are your heroes that, uh, braved, uh, the perilous journey to the land of the Nantanok and ran around with a fog machine and, did a bunch of, uh, of, uh, underhanded shit all for the name of TV. Oh, and you know what? I forgot. I forgot to mention, holy crap. I should, man, I wish I'd have brought this up earlier. So, um, I forgot that, um, I saw this and on the, it might still be up there if it hasn't been, I imagine it's probably going to go away eventually. Somebody's probably going to delete it. If you go to the Alaskan killer Bigfoot, uh, Facebook group, there is a post on there. It's floating around. I can't believe it got left up. Honestly, uh, from what I understand, they're ruling that place with an iron fist. Anybody that says anything vaguely negative gets the boot. Uh, during the exorcism of Port Chatham, when Liam, the demonologist, is running around with the fog machine, and he's cleansing—I'm using quote fingers—the obelisk. Uh, and I missed this. Somebody else pointed this out, you know, kudos to you, you eagle eyed person. You, uh, when he's cleansing the obelisk, you can clearly see the icons still sitting on the obelisk that guy put there that allegedly burned. So, uh, you know, either this is some kind of major continuity error where they filmed the cleansing before they supposedly burned the icons or they never burn them in the first places, which is what I believe. Um, they, they gave, some one of the cast members gave, uh, some kind of, a well, it was like, I have a, I have a perfectly, uh, rational explanation for that. You see what had happened was, is, uh, we went back and the icon was there. Like it never burned. I can't explain it, <laughs> which is not the opposite of a rational explanation. If you ask me, but anyway, I mean, I don't know what to tell you people. The show was completely staged and fake. Um, 
man, I wish I'd have mentioned that earlier when I was still talking about the last episode, man, I forgot about that, but uh, I'm not going to edit back. I'm not going to edit that into that. <laughs> it can be where it is. I'm ta- I've talked for over two hours now. I'm going horse. Uh, and I've said all I'm going to say about it. Say about it, people. I am done with Alaska Killer Bigfoot. I hope you are too. And remember, last episode I was talking about feeling kind of guilty for supporting the show and you know watching the show. Basically, every time I hit play, I felt bad because I felt like some counter was dinging in some executive's office in the Discovery Channel. So I have decided to cancel my subscription to discovery plus uh, i am not going to be partaking of their content anymore uh, i do kind of feel a little bit bad about missing uh all of the seasons of uh finding bigfoot i'm not going to have access to those anymore i'm not going to ha- i'm not even going to have access to my own shows i'm not going to be able to watch alaska uh, triangle or aliens in alaska <laughs> like i am literally giving up on being able to show people and watch my own shows uh, and I'm going to write a little bit of a letter uh, to go with that. I'm going to find somebody to send that to. Some person has got to uh, be reading emails that come in from viewers. And um, I don't know. I don't expect any of you guys to do the same, to cancel your subscriptions. But um, that's where it's going to get them. Um, just not watching is going to do it. Uh, the way the streaming platform works, from what I understand and this is my belief of the way things work is uh, they really don't care what the numbers are. They care about subscriptions. Um, So if they, so let's see, Alaska killer Bigfoot premiered in what was it like December something. And it ran from like December to the end of January. And what they're looking at is how many subscriptions, did they have a jump in subscriptions? Did they have a spike in subscriptions? Well, that show was uh, running while it was first first airing shows. And if they did, that's going to count towards their decision to um, renew it, to have a second season. So my thinking is, is if I cancel my subscription, which that's what they want, they want subscriptions. If I cancel my subscription and basically send them a letter saying, this is why I'm canceling my show is because, or my, subscriptions because this show was so terrible hopefully that might spur someone to maybe think about creating better content i don't know i doubt it um there's a lot of people out there that love the show can't wait for another show or rallying for another show and um yeah well i mean if it is it is but it's not i'm not going to talk about it and uh i'm done with it And uh, I hope you are too. So anyway, guys, next time we will be talking about something a lot happier, a lot cooler. We're going to be talking about something. I don't know what, but it's not going to be Alaska Killer Bigfoot. So you guys uh, be careful out there and um, stay away from the Nantanok. Mm -hmm.